0: Hi, and welcome to the Passionistas Project podcast, where we talk with women who are following their passions to inspire you to do the same. We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and today we're talking with Nicole DePaula, who has been globally connecting policymakers and researchers for more than a decade to create a public understanding on key issues related to sustainability and public health. As a planetary health advocate, she champions the socioeconomic advancement of women through environmental conversation. She's the founder of the Women's Leaders for Planetary Health, and in 2019, she became the first awardee of the prestigious Klaus Topfer Sustainability Fellow at the Institute for Advanced Sustainability Studies in Potsdam, Germany. Nicole is the author of the book, Breaking the Silos for Planetary Health, A Roadmap for a Resilient Post-Pandemic World. So please welcome to the show, Nicole DePala. Hi, Nancy and Amy. Thank you for having me today. What's the one thing you're most
1: passionate about? I think recently it's definitely planetary health. Uh, we've been advocating so much. And at the beginning, the term was, what is planetary health? It sounded like a horoscope thing, right? So just, it was a term that sounded, it was a bit weird. In some language, it doesn't, doesn't translate well. I think in German, for example, it's 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 hard to translate. In Portuguese as well, I'm from Brazil, so uh, it was also a bit funny, but definitely is the topic that we should be talking about, specifically now when we need to recover, hopefully, from this pandemic.
2: So tell us of what planetary health means and how it relates to what you do for a living.
1: Yeah, so maybe what I do, I'm, my background, I, I tend to say I, I'm a fake doctor, right? So I'm a, I, have, I have a PhD in international relations, so I'm not a magical doctor, as I've been talking a lot with public health experts. It's quite an interesting exercise. And so planetary health, uh, from my perspective, is a very interesting narrative of things that decision makers should be talking about or acting So it's basically everything, so the planet is changing, right? we say that if the planet is sick with all the climate change impacts, biodiversity loss, pollution, you know, we we don't know anymore what we have in our foods, there's so much chemicals there, processed food, you know, and crisis, we used to have a big problem, of course, with hunger, and now it's, you know, half of the population is obese. So, of course, we're changing our lifestyles. And the way the planet is changing the way that we are impacting our planet so that's why we say uh, this anthropogenic uh, impacts we need it's impacting public health so the decision normally is what is health at the end of the day right is everything that is inside our bodies and it's just this small system or we should talk about health as connected to the health of our planet so the planetary health as a scientific discipline or a not discipline, there's discussion that I think it started as saying as a discipline, but I'd say it's an approach, a new area of studies, call it that way. I think many researchers were already discussing sustainability connecting to the to human health. So again, it's very simple. It's just trying to connect sustainability to public health policies. And on the on the issue, of course, scientists are trying to understand how exactly climate change impacts. You know, human have we have heat waves that impact, you know, the most vulnerable in cities. Uh, So we're trying to measure. That's so that's not exactly what I do. You know, people will do modeling, and but in the end, we need to communicate and inform decision makers of this field and say what do we do about it. And that's what I'm passionate about. How do we get the science and bring it to the people who can take these decisions? And it's of course not an easy thing, especially these days. But we keep trying.
0: So you mentioned COVID. Talk about how the relationship to COVID and planetary health, like what, how is it affecting the world and the planet?
1: Yes, COVID is, as um, sometimes mentioned, and I notice in a book, it's, of course is a very bad thing. But if Every crisis brings an opportunity. That's the sad reality. If we need change, we probably learn through love or pain, right? So it's very hard to change behavior if you don't have a big crisis. And COVID is now showing, I think, stimulating this conversation about, okay, what is exactly connections? It's it's just just a sanitary thing, it's uh, the disease. But what you're learning now, and trying to communicate, actually, I think a lot of people have been trying to communicate this before, but the way, for example, the deforestation, the way we are transforming our environment, we are uh, increasing the chances of this contact with new viruses. So, for example, illegal wildlife trade, you know, if you're bringing species to different, and because the world is so connected, in three days, the whole, if you have a new disease, in three days, the whole world is contaminated. So the, the COVID is really showing that we need to connect more the dots between these issues of biodiversity, conservation, you know, this there is a link with zoonotic diseases when you have pathogens right in animals, jump to humans. We still we don't have definitive answers about how exactly COVID was created, but six out of ten new diseases come from animals, you know. So this this zoonotic disease. So so we know that the, we are creating some sort of the, this possibility of increasing diseases, and and climate change, for example, affects. Our natural ecosystems. So, new mosquitoes—they wouldn't be in Europe, for example, because of the climate. Now, if we find, so we have a new ecology of, of these diseases that it's important to understand and study. Again, we have uh, researchers doing that. So, planetary health brings this conversation and links uh, these points.
2: So, let's take a step back. You talked about the fact that you're from Brazil tell us a bit about growing up there and when did you first become aware of these issues and what inspired you to pursue this field
1: in brazil of course i mean i think i always wanted to i remember as a let's say teenager the time you need to decide about university i was between two things i think i love i love studying so i think my thing i love learning so it doesn't matter what it is i people say oh what's your favorite you know subject i liked everything Uh, at the end i started being better at humanities and others but i was still at some point good very good in chemistry very good in math some parts of physics so i wish i had more talent i wish i had kept my talent (laughs) from that time would be great for calculating and modeling these days which i don't feel they're very capable but i enjoyed uh learning and 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 i enjoyed traveling so that was a big thing so i think You know, if you're uncomfortable in new places. So, for example, from Brazil, I remember going to Portugal at an early age and I didn't enjoy so much because it was so similar to Brazil. And I think nowadays I would think differently because it's a fantastic city in Lisbon, for example, it changed so much. But the traveling part was inspiring. And so I was trying to find things, you know, what is what can I do that unite all these many disciplines that I enjoy and, and traveling? So initially, um, I also was very good at debating, especially with my family. You know, If I wanted something, I would debate until they were tired. <laughs> and so it was, uh, some people found that, of course, very annoying, but they thought I would be a, I would be a good lawyer, right? So I thought about it, and, and in the end, I found this brochure that's saying, oh, international relations. It was a new course at that point. You know, remember also globalization and all this. So that's something we have a very, of course, at the University of Sao Paulo is... Uh, let's say top university in Brazil, depending on the subject, but it is very uh, important center, but they didn't have international relations when I was applying for it. So there was another university, the had leading that in Sao Paulo, I'm from Sao Paulo. And so I joined that and started doing international relations, but at that point, nobody knew what do you do with international relations, right? It was just, And in the first year, I was, it was actually the time when the United States was not ready to sign or you know was withdrawing from the kyoto protocol which is the whole the initial agreement uh, in the whole climate sphere so as a student in political science i was like why if it's such a good thing for the planet why we have the biggest power saying that they don't want to agree with this you know that's it's good for the planet so that's how i entered the the climate diplomacy conversation so again i entered the sustainability sphere through the political perspective right and then from that on I started doing a lot of understanding how countries negotiate about uh, this treaty so it was climate then biodiversity and quickly I could actually move to France so my uh, university had an agreement so I moved to France and then started studying a lot from the perspective of the European Union which is another uh, whole in in regional negotiations of agreement to have a global position (laughs) So all of that it's endless, and it was fascinating. But I tended to focus on the sustainable sustainable development aspects. And you know, we have, uh, in Rio, Brazil. Also, we're very uh, it's a very important country for sustainable development. The Amazon has always been on the agenda. We have infinite natural resources. You know, it's the mega diverse uh, country's top. So Brazil has been very important for these negotiations. And so that's how I started my academic life. And there was no specific moment, right? This I had an aha moment for other things later, but for that, I just really enjoyed. We say the planetary health is really about multidisciplinary. You know, whatever we do, we need to unite disciplines. And international relations was always a let's say a collection of disciplines. You did economics, law, sociology, you know, theology, linguistics, things. And you had to make sense of all of this. So I think from the early age, I, I was maybe comfortable navigating multidisciplinary systems, and, which today is very useful because you know, you're kind of comfortable. You're not there to protect a discipline, and, and you're just free to kind of have this dialogue, which is so, so important.
0: So tell us about some of the fellowships that you've done through the years. The International Institute for Sustainable Development, what was your work like there?
1: Yeah, so, well, the International Institute for Sustainable Development is actually the, it's more, um, it's a think tank, and that's through this organization that I could actually be in the practice of sustainability, tracking sustainable development in real time, because you were uh, going to all this at the UN and, and, and trying to understand the country's positions and why so it's a lot of work of Intel in the end the product, you would say you would do reports and informing in a very succinct uh, way what countries are doing. However, you need the whole background, so we were most of people that were doing their PhDs or uh, at least a master's in one of the specific negoc- multilateral negotiations so. It was more, uh, yeah, so we were part of a global team tracking this, but usually it's also connected to your academic uh, research. So this was during my PhD times where I could, I think, you know, visit, I don't know, almost 60 countries. And, and, and it was it gave a lot of perspective, you know, from what people think, because one solution, you know, in Europe is not a solution in Africa, is not a solution in Latin America, And that's, that's why it's so slow. And that's why it's so difficult because of course we do need global solutions. However, you still need to kind of get the contextualized moments of this. So very challenging, but that's what I did there. It was really getting and tracking sustainability in practice at the UN level.
2: And as we mentioned in our intro in 2019, you became the first awardee of the Klaus Topher sustainability fellow. So tell us about that period and what and what that experience was like
1: yeah so that's a very recent uh, experience and it's it's one of my favorites because it gave so um gave me a lot of freedom to uh, i think i could do follow my passion and do the things that you know i i, I used usually say it's it's when is the time that you have time and money together? You know, it, it never, so either you have time or no uh, and no money or money and no time. So this was, this fellowship is really dedicated to, for, to kind of people do their projects and elevate them. And so I was so proud to, uh, Stopper is the former minister of environment in Germany. He was also the head of the United Nations Environment Program before. So he was someone who was, you know, doing politics in, in Germany, but also went moved to Kenya and was the head of a large UN organization and he had to also understand right this compromises how it works Africa is not the same as Germany. So um, and of course is very influential public figure. So I, he uh, and together a few of, I think, Nobel Prizes uh, founded uh, this institute in, in Potsdam. And it's a very interesting, I think I had a lot of intellectual freedom there and I could develop the book, Breaking the Silos for Planetary Health, which if you don't have time to sit down and write, it's, you know, you never finish. So I could do that. I could support Brazil in a large planetary health global event together with the Harvard University. And this was a fantastic, uh, really expanding the field of planetary health in Latin America. Because one of the things I tried to say is there's no point of having planetary health conversation if it's only in Australia, Europe, and you know North America. So we need to bring that to the global South. And I could found the social enterprise uh, called Women Leaders of Planetary Health. And, and this has opened so many doors to a lot of my work today. So I really enjoyed that and, and very supportive colleagues, uh, directors, and it was really, really a very fun time in my <laughs> career. I must, I'm must, i very thankful for that. I think it was, you know, when you get these things at the right time, you really could, I think I used the opportunity. And then COVID came and that for me professionally <laughs> was good because I was talking so much about health sustainability and unfortunately, see, you need a crisis to push these things. and. It's a sad reality, but from that perspective, it was a good timing to talk about this.
0: Talk us through what you do. You connect policymakers and researchers. So,
1: what is that process? What's your
0: day like?
1: Well, that's funny. My day has been the most. I don't have a routine. I have now. I think it's first two weeks that I'm having more of a routine in my life, and I'm almost forty, so I enjoy that. I think I worked a lot to get a lot of flexibility my work life so i have absolutely no routine because every day and now with the pandemic it became then a different world right we could do so much virtually and things but it was more about so i did a lot of work in different countries when i was you know i i studied the internet when i was, said i was tracking sustainable development negotiations every time was in a different country so i would be in the desert and the next week i would be in the arctic literally so you have to pack know for north of finland and dubai so it it has been very (laughs) hectic but i enjoyed that but definitely not a common existence especially for women as we know you know people expect that you have your traditional things and then you have your family life like a traditional way and all that and i always refused in a way and said no that's really exciting to not have this routine that's not what i want." And during this time, so you're why if you travel so much, you're also connecting with people around the planet. So it facilitates so much your work during, you know, if you have to gather intelligence, you have to see what that country is thinking and what the others. So how can I, if I'm writing a paper or, or you know, even my PhD, I had to really for, for five years you were doing research and, and, and it was about the strategic partnership between Brazil and the EU on a specific agreements. So things are evolving, right? So I need to track that, and so this connection is first through research because you have to inform and you have to publish and you have to get the knowledge. But then once once you are working with these organizations, you're actually also transferring that knowledge or trying to, you know, it's not so much of an academic exercise. But if you do if you are working with think tanks, then you do roundtables and you do uh, other events, and it's more of the networking part, exchanging. The word that I like here, cross-pollinating knowledge around disciplines or institutions. So that's a lot of what I do. And so it's not a clear-cut thing, but when you see you have to, yeah, do your research, like a political scientist and a lot of interviews, for example, the method if you're this participant observant, you know, you are in the process. So not only reading, because what is published in the end, it's not necessarily what was happening. There's so much in politics that cannot be published. That's why these personal connections are so important because you need trust from these individuals to get the information. That's how I think think it's a very important talent. So this personal diplomacy with trust building, networking in, in many countries that really helps to kind of today I have my colleagues said, oh, we'll connect and I moved to Bangkok after, right? So I, I live in France. Then I moved to Thailand, and I lived in Canada, and I lived in Washington DC, and I lived in Mon- <laughs> in Brazil, of course, and now I'm in Italy. So it's kind of at some point it gets tiring with the bureaucracy, you know, all the visa things. That's uh, what I'm. But apart from that, it's fascinating because you adapt, and I think that's what the world needs today, right? We all had to adapt so fast, but honestly, for me, it was just. When the lockdown came, I just felt that was just my regular life that everybody could finally understand that we could do so much online, that we could do so much virtually. So, a lot of this tracking of the negotiations we did virtually. And I worked like this with Slack or all these chat functions with people around the world that I never met since 2012. So, you know, 10 years later, the world <laughs> figured out that it is possible. We don't need to fly across the world to have, you know, a one on one meeting. That, that's absolutely inc- um, insane.
2: We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and you're listening to the Passionistas Project podcast in our interview with Dr. Nicole Depala. To learn more about Women Leaders for Planetary Health's mission to empower women to lead planetary health solutions at the front lines of development in the global south, visit wlph.org. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to the third annual Power of Passionistas Summit this September 21st through September 23rd, 2022. The three-day virtual event is focused on authentic conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion. This unique gathering of intersectional storytellers and panelists harnesses the power of our rich community of passionate thought leaders and activists to pose solutions to the problems plaguing women and non-binary people today early bird tickets are on sale now through august 21st for just 99 dollars at the passionistasproject.com so be sure to register before the special discount rate ends we'd like to thank our sponsors melanie childer's master coach graceful revolution the ossa collective tea drops aaron's coffee corner Flourishing Over 50, Espanola Real Estate Team, Mermaid's Garden, Sarah Finn's Coaching, Tara McMahon Wellness, Rebecca Chavez-Hauk, and Triscom Public Relations. Now here's more of our interview with Nicole. Did you miss traveling though? So for someone who likes to
1: be on the go? Exactly. That's a very, you know, interesting question. And the good thing is I did so much that I feel that, I feel a bit satisfied with you know, the places that I've been and it's never enough, there's no. If you like traveling, you know you can always do again and, and, and learn more and spend more time. But I definitely felt, uh, at the beginning it was fine because you know with the lockdown you, you could produce everything and write, I, I used my time a lot to do the writing. And what I miss is just the, the easy, you know, the facility that you could go. So now if you're in Italy, you have to go back to Germany, it feels like you're going to another continent in the Civil War, you know, so it, and that's the thing, it's very, it, it's sad, because, you know, if you have family also abroad, and it's just, it's kind of a, a worry that if you need to travel fast and and, the, and and not everybody will have, you know, the same advantages or being treated equally. So in the end, the most vulnerable will always suffer more. they will not have support, they, they cannot. So I miss I miss the, the, the easy connections to exotic places. <laughs> That's what I miss. So
0: in 2019, you co-founded the Planetary Health Research Group. So tell us about that and what the mission is of that organization.
1: So this group is is hosted by the University of São Paulo in Brazil. And and it's hosted by the there is an Institute for Advanced Studies there and was with together with Professor Antonio Sariva, who is an absolutely partner in crime and that in Brazil and an amazing group of interdisciplinary researchers. So we were we actually with Professor Sariva. we met in the first meeting of the Planetary Health Alliance in, in Boston. It was hosted by Harvard. And we met in a museum uh, with, you know, I think it was natural history and you have like penguins around us. So it it was a very fun uh, dinner and in the the middle of the museum and we just connected. And for many years we were, you know, discussing and going to these meetings every, every, it's an annual meeting until Brazil got the right to host for, for the first time, the Planetary Health Alliance would, you know, give the right for a developing country to host this, this conference. And then we we were just natural partners and we had, we were working indirectly together. So we decided to have this an official center uh, at the University of Sao Paulo in the most interdisciplinary center there. And this is growing now. I'm affiliated, I'm a founder, co-founder, and Professor Soraya is really leading that now. He's a very senior professor there. So it's it's just fascinating because it's not something you know that belongs to the University of Sao Paulo, but it's something that belongs to Brazil because we have many partners, we have people from all regions. As you know, Brazil is a very, very big country. So it's kind of really well distributed now. And it's fascinating to, even for me, when you go to meetings, you have all the different accents from Brazil. You know that sometimes you, you if you also stay in your bubble, you don't even listen to different voices. And, and if you're advocating for this diversity, in decision making it's it's you know it starts there we have to have people from different regions so that's it's growing and we could host successfully the conference in last year yeah because january so definitely like uh, last year and i think april we got 5000 people who registered for this and you know from 130 countries and and because also it was the first time it would be in brazil but the pandemic had to be online but we really took the opportunity to make this then an inclusive you know not a lot of people would these conferences would be usually around 400 people and we could at least bring that to the houses of you know in people in 100, 130 countries so, and that's why the, what I like to talk about also the planetary health movement, it's a scientific thing, but also if you don't talk and people don't get excited and don't want to do things, it's useless right? So it's the planetary health movement as, you know, social movement is very important as well. And I think we've worked quite well and there are now new programs of young ambassadors from different universities and they're doing things. So it's about also inspiring others to to get to know more about the field, to apply to their, how would they think, you know, in their topic of research, discuss this. So yeah, so very proud of that one. That's how I could help my own country to explore the theme. And in
2: 2020, you founded the Women Leaders for Planetary Health. So what is the mission of that organization?
1: Yeah, it was so uh, the United Nations Climate Conference, the COP25, December, I had it with the support of IAS, this organization that was in Potsdam. I really wanted to do something that would, I, I was doing so much on planetary health, but the gender dimension was really mentioned. I, I wasn't hearing about it. It was just, you know, a known issue. So, so uh, I, I, I definitely, the mission is we want to empower women to lead planetary health solutions in the global south. Simple as that. Because how many women, you know, sustainability is very full of women, but how many women really leading solutions or, you know, receive funding to do their own thing? Or that's the challenge that we have, right? And so I wanted to focus on that discussion first to understand why, if we empower women, what's the difference for planetary health? And I mean, we're doing research on that, right? But of course, there's many indications that you can accelerate the impact of sustainable development policies if you have women empowered and able to, to take the lead and, and make a change. If you want to like in food systems, for example, if you, you can be investing agriculture in bio things, however if women don't have land rights you know if legally they are discriminated and they cannot produce their own things or do um, agroecology practices um, it's kind of useless so we need to pay attention to this to many of inequalities of inequalities, not only income but also opportunities and, and that's why i wanted to again bring the planetary health conversation to low and middle income countries so i was really targeting that as part of the mission that's why the first um, round we created a digital academy, which was, was with the pandemic was great because everything could be digital. and I could we we had thirty more than thirty countries participating in our things. so and and, and very, let's say, non-reachable, difficult countries. You know we had people in Palestine, we had people uh, from Sudan, we had people in Zimbabwe, uh, many from Brazil, you know in Latin America. And all these women, they all share the same problems, but also the same passion and the same solutions. You see they're, they're doers, you know, and then the narrative is really not to make, oh, women, it's, I didn't create an organization to say, oh, we're suffering. It's so difficult, they're discriminated. The point is how we empower them to, to do what they want to do and but have the right resources and the leadership skills. So we focus really on, on leadership training sessions and with we had our wonderful Angela, Phil, who also supported us on that, and I was mostly focusing on on this research part of planetary health, and so we write papers and do the research as well. How climate or biodiversity, how these things connect to gender? Yeah, so that's how, we, and it's it's growing in the UN. So it was good to also have that conversation at the UN. That's how it started, and now we're a social enterprise, uh, you know, legal institution in Germany. And that's, I'm very excited to see how this is growing. We have a team in Brazil now. We have things growing in Africa. We have things in Southeast Asia. Yeah, I'm very excited. That's I think how we get, that's the the passion, I think our jobs. And if you work with the policy now, it's not always fun, right? There of course, politics enter in the middle. Things can be delayed and, take time to to drive change. But this is really the fun part I think of my work because you see the results and you see also the results at the personal level. You know, you have sometimes, I think we underestimate how much we could help people by simple things, just, you know, supporting them with the letter. So the mentoring part of our, we had this digital academy, but also we were pairing individuals with senior mentors. So we had a mentorship program targeting low and middle-income countries, women in in low and middle-income countries. So, and I heard so many stories after because at the beginning I thought, well, you know, this is not, I mean, it's not a big deal. It's just, okay, we're helping a little bit, but when you see the later what they tell and the things, the decisions that they took in the end or the courage that they had to do their own things, they really, you get surprised and you see, wow, this is, you know, we did this. And that's very rewarding.
0: Can you tell us about maybe a success story, something that you've seen come through the organization?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, what I saw a lot was this positive, they tell stories that, oh, when I joined the program, I was, you know, I was a bit lost, I didn't know what to do, or or maybe careers. And they, normally they felt empowered to take the decisions that they already knew that they would do, but they felt validated somehow that that's, oh, that's, I can't do this. So I heard many stories like this. If they want to maybe start a new master's program, or they want to change careers, or they want to quit their toxic jobs. You know, there were stories like this, or people who they want to change industries and do more work on sustainability. I saw a lot of this and simply, and maybe at the end I can tell another story, but I'll keep it a secret
2: so what can women who aren't kind of full-time activists in this field what can we do on a day to day basis to have an impact on the planet
1: yeah so this is a very it's a common question that we get right so how of course everybody wants to know how they can make a better place of role but i like to call attention to to another point, because yes, you can do your recycles, you can eat, you know, reduce consumption of meat. Normally what is in terms of impact, if you change your diets, that's the easiest and the biggest impact you're gonna have. So not so simple to do it. And especially it depends where you live and your culture or your habit, but that's what research has shown that that's the biggest impact you can have. If you change your diet you have of course more, more less meat, less and more plants and, So there is something called planetary health diet that doesn't say you can never eat meat, but, you know, you you definitely have to shift the quantity and the proportion of things that we're eating, as we know we're not so healthy these days. So I would invite our our participants to, to, you know, Google planetary health diet, that's an interesting exercise. But what I like to think about, and that's why it's it's important also to think in this, which is also hard, but the systemic part, right? Nobody will completely change. What I'm trying to do is really, how do you address the root causes of these problems that we're saving? I don't think it's our five minute, three minute, or 60 seconds shower that will do that. So when we try to put the, the solutions on the shoulders of individuals only, you're not addressing the problem. You're just masking, the problem and you're just you know you want to delay action because what you need to do is to change drastic you know we need to change trade rules you need to change the way supply chains you need to it's not only one company right that company has thousands of companies involved in their business so how do we do that so i'm more interested now in, in really in this transformative systems for sustainability. And of course, we have the UN Sustainable Development Goals who who addressed this. It's a very, it's a plan for development and address so many questions that they're important. But as you see there, it's very hard to disconnect one goal from the other. But many institutions, they say, oh, I do you know SDG two or four or five, I do gender. And what I like to say, no, if you don't do everything, at least a little bit, or if you don't understand the connections, you're not doing much. So which is difficult to do because obviously capacity and it's limited, time is limited, resources are limited. So we need to prioritize, use your best skills and maybe focus on on what you can do best, but you need partnerships, nobody will do this alone. So that's why the individual question, what can we do is, yeah, you can start with your house and then maybe influencing your family and your building and you can start expanding but also try to educate yourself about these connections because I see a lot of people. Oh, I'll not use this or consume that, but there's so many inconsistencies. Things, you know, they would maybe they are young activists, but they are using nail polish full of chemicals for because it's cheaper from, I don't know, another country. Try to understand the whole picture. And, and I think that's the way we can have a bigger impact. And on women, right? Let me just uh, address that. And I think because women need to support women that's simple you know for too long we are also trying this narrative oh women are difficult you know today i was hearing someone if you since a lot of positions of power are you know occupied by men also if if you're a woman you're just maybe used to kind of let's say working for men or serving that you know the ideas of men have and, and then if women wants to do things, they're normally considered difficult or challenging. You know, this is so typical. And, and it's happening every day. And it's just getting tiring now. And I think women need to stop that and help each other to, instead of making things worse for ourselves, because we already have a lot of challenges in life. So it's, it's just not acceptable that we are also struggling with other women. So I think it just is more cohesion and support, solidarity would make life for all of us so much easier.
2: Thanks for listening to the Passionistas Project podcast and our interview with Dr. Nicole Paula. To learn more about Women Leaders for Planetary Health's mission to empower women to lead planetary health solutions at the frontline of development in the global south, visit wlph.org. Please visit thepassionistasproject.com to learn more about our podcast and subscription box filled with products made by women-owned businesses and female artisans to inspire you to follow your passions. Double your first box when you sign up for a one-year subscription. And remember to get your tickets to the third annual Virtual Power of Passionistas Summit from September 21st through 23rd. Early bird tickets are on sale now, through August 21st for just $99 at thepassionistasproject.com. So be sure to register before this special discount rate ends. And subscribe to the Passionistas Project podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming inspiring guests. Until next time, stay well and stay passionate.